Welcome to the St. Edward's Podcast, a church filled with the Holy Spirit. We hope that today's words will draw you closer to Christ Jesus. Happy Trinity Sunday. <laughs> Look at that excitement. Well, this, <laughs> that's right. This is a principal feast day in the church. It is the only feast day that derives from a theological understanding where most other feast days are tied around events, a person, or people. Trinity Sunday is about how God reveals himself to us as one God, yet three in one. God in three persons, blessed Trinity. It is a mystery, but it is the doctrine of the church we say that God is triune, one divine nature in unity of three persons, and that God is revealed as three distinct persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's also a doctrine that we confess in the creeds of the church. We say, we believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord. And this revelation of the nature and being of God is found in our Holy Scripture. Now certainly the word Trinity is not found in the Scriptures as the word first appeared in the Church Fathers around the second century, but this revelation of God is present in the Bible. And we find it as early as the book of Genesis in chapter 1. And God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. We know that humankind is made in the image of God, which is such an important doctrine of Scripture that we often need to be reminded of, the Imago Dei. And here in Genesis, we when where we find reference to it, God says, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. It is plural. Of course, we know in this ancient Jewish literature that it is not trying to communicate that there is a plurality of gods. Judaism and Christianity are monotheistic. It is indicating God, three in one. It is about the only place in the Old Testament with the most connection to the Trinity in this way. But we do see God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit present in the Old Testament. Of course, God the Father and Creator of the world is mentioned throughout the Older Testament, all over the place. Jesus, God the Son, is also present throughout. The one who walked in the cool of the morning in the Garden of Eden, back in Genesis 3, 8, after the fall, was Jesus. The great preacher and 18th century intellectual Jonathan Edwards wrote, he said, When we read of God appearing after the fall in some visible form, we are ordinarily, if not universally, to understand it of the second person of the Trinity. Jesus is present elsewhere too. 
The I am in whom Abraham rejoiced was Jesus. The Lord who motivated Moses was Christ. The Redeemer who brought them out of Egypt was Jesus. The rock in the wilderness was Christ. The king of Isaiah's temple vision was the Son. You see, Jesus is actually the central figure in the Old Testament. And Jesus himself, on the road to Emmaus after his resurrection, told the disciples as much. St. Luke writes, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, Jesus explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. The Holy Spirit is also in the Old Testament. In the second verse of Genesis 1, we read, Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. The Holy Spirit was present at creation. Now the Spirit came upon certain judges and warriors and prophets of the Old Testament in a way that gave them extraordinary power. Examples of these are, are Joshua, Gideon, and Samson, where the scriptures say that they were full of the Holy Spirit. David, who knew the Holy Spirit, did not want God's Spirit to leave him. In his repentant psalm, Psalm 51, David wrote, Do not cast from me your presence, or take your Holy Spirit from me. You see, God did not become triune. God did not develop into three persons with the birth of Jesus and then the sending of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. God was and is and always will be God three in one. Now throughout the New Testament, you can find the three persons of the Trinity in this formulaic fashion that's often given. Our two New Testament readings today point toward the Holy Trinity. In Romans, we read Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. St. Paul wrote, since we are justified by faith, we have peace with God, the Father, through our Lord Jesus Christ. God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that has been given to us. There's all three. In the Gospel of John, we heard Jesus said, when the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will glorify me, Jesus, because he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. There's all three again. Now the formal doctrine of the Trinity came many years later in the church. And as many things seem to come, it is through the, through the strains of difficulty that clarity is brought forth. It is often when, when we are challenged, we find ourselves needing to formulate what we really believe. The Nicene Creed mostly developed in the Council of Nicaea in 325 AD and was produced to the set the doctrine of God three in one in place. Reverend Dr. Justin Holcomb writes, after a century of debate over the nature of the relationship between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the Nicene Creed is perhaps the most famous and influential creed in the history of the church because it settled the question of how Christians can worship one God and also claim that this God is three persons. This 
Nicene Creed in the fourth century produced statements like this one from the fourth century Archbishop of Constantinople and theologian Gregory of Nazianzus. He wrote this, we proclaim concisely and simply the doctrine of God, the Trinity, comprehending out of light the Father, light the Son, in light the Holy Ghost, was and was and was, but was one thing. Light thrice repeated, but one light. In thy light shall we see light. The Athanasian Creed, which we will say today in just a few moments, came later toward the end of the fifth century. That is the history and the development of the understanding of the Holy Trinity, which is now embedded in our prayers and, and in our liturgical forms. Already this morning, we've made mention of the Trinity numerous times. A simple example is in our prayer, the Gloria Patri. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Centuries after the last book of the New Testament was written, the doctrine of the Trinity was developed in more clarity. You see, the church takes its time building important scriptural understanding. And this is still good practice, even in the, the fast-paced world of our contemporary Western society that demands the church make a decision on this now. <laughs> the church should always move on God's time, not culture's time. Nevertheless, the doctrine that we confess and believe every time we gather for worship is an expression of God revealed to us. But believing and confessing the doctrine of the Trinity is one thing. Understanding it is on a whole different level. St. Augustine while puzzling over the doctrine of the Trinity, was walking along the beach one day when he observed a young boy with a bucket running back and forth to pour water into a little hole. And Augustine asked, what are you doing? And the boy replied, I'm trying to put the ocean into this hole. At that moment, St. Augustine realized that he had been trying to put an infinite God into his finite mind. The doctrine of the Trinity is a mystery, a glorious mystery, one that we are unable to fully grasp. I was encouraged in my studies this week by the words of Dr. Mike Higton a, uh, in a sermon that he wrote. He's the professor of theology and ministry at Durham University. And he wrote this concerning the Trinity. He says, God is more than our minds can grasp. We can't know how God's life works. And when we say that God is three in one, that's not meant to help us tie God down. It does not tell us how God's life works. It, it does not mean we get to say, oh yes, now I get it. Now I see what it all means. Now it all makes sense to me. No, it is not meant to help us put God in a box. In fact, it's meant to help us not put God in a box. 
It's meant to point us to ways in which there is more to God than we might have thought. More to God's life, more to God's love, more to the way God shares God's life with us. It's a mystery. A glorious mystery. So, I hope at the conclusion of this sermon today that you've been encouraged in two ways. First, that you have a better understanding of the doctrine of the Trinity, at least what the belief is based on and where it comes from. But second, that the doctrine of the Trinity is really to help you just to see how big, majestic, and glorious God is. We won't figure God all the way out. I'll leave you with one last quote from Dr. Mike Higton. He said, I don't need to know how it works. I just need to trust that it's true, to know it, to feel it, to rest in it. I pray as you contemplate the great mysteries of God in scripture and prayer, in sacrament, and in God's people both here and throughout our tradition, that you would know him and feel him and rest in him. Happy Trinity Sunday. Amen. Thank you for joining us in this conversation today. We will continue to pray that our teachings are impacting you for the kingdom of God. If you'd like to learn more about our community, you can find us on stedwardsepiscopal.com or on Facebook. And of course, we'd love for you to visit us in beautiful Mount Dora. May God's grace fill you as you go in peace.